I do believe that people innately want to do well. Mm -hmm. They want to do a good job. They want to make you happy as the boss, as the entrepreneur, as the CEO, and they want to thrive. They want to, to use this analogy, they want to bloom. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I think you're going to love today's episode because we're actually doing something a little bit different. I'm sitting down with James Wedmore, who you probably know of because he is one of the best entrepreneurial coaches out there today. And he's the gentleman who started as a broke bartender and found his passion around online videos and visual storytelling. And so he went on to become, over the, the past decade, one of the best online video and visual storytelling storytelling experts out there. Now, what we're doing that's different is he wanted to interview me and I wanted to interview him. So we decided, why don't we sit down and have a face-off, if you will, where we just like sling questions at each other. I've done that once before and you guys loved the results. So I think you're going to love the results of this episode. And speaking of loving your results, I want to remind you that we just launched our brand new financial course the money principles. And it's just what it sounds like. It's the principles of money that you should have been taught in school, that you should have been taught by your teachers, that you should have been taught by your parents, that you should have been taught in your neighborhood, but you very likely weren't. If you were anything like me, you were raised by families that loved you and meant well, but they could only teach you what they knew, what they learned from their parents and so on and so on. And so unless you happen to be raised by an incredibly wealthy family that chose to sit you down and teach you the principles of money, or unless you are able to afford a wildly expensive financial coach, then you're missing these principles. Matter of fact, if you find that you are laying awake at night, struggling, wondering when the next shoe is going to drop, wondering how you're going to pay the bills, if you're scared to use your credit cards, your debit card when you check out, because you kind of pull out your wallet and look at them and you wonder which one has a little bit of room left on it for you to use so it won't get declined, or if you're sick and tired of buying the car that you have to buy instead of the car that you want to buy for your family for once, or if it breaks your heart when your kids ask if you can go to Disney, or when your kids ask why you have to go to work so long, if any of these things are causing you stress, then this course was absolutely created for you. This course was created for you if you are tired of working so hard and not getting ahead. This course was created for you if you are sick and tired of wondering when your break is going to be. And this course was created for you if you feel like you're doing everything that you were taught and yet it's still not coming together. It's because you have blind spots. It's because you can't know what you don't know. And trust me, I've been there before. I created the financial course that I wish existed back when we were going broke and had to start over and I started seeking answers. Because back then, all the answers weren't located in one place. And I decided to put them all in one place. And on top of that, nowadays, when you can find all the answers located in one place, it's $1,000 or $2,000 or $5,000. And the great irony of that that upsets me is most of the people that need this information, they can't afford 1000 they can't afford 2000 they can't afford 5000 And so 
You're never going to learn the things that will lead to an abundant life until somebody gives you a freaking break. And that is exactly what I have done. I built a course that should be a thousand or two thousand or five thousand dollars. I built a course that'll change your financial life forever. I built a course that teaches you why money matters and then how money works and then how to be money minded and then what money moves you need to make and then also how to magnify your money. Except I didn't want to price it at a price that you would not be able to attain. And so what I did was I made sure that all of my podcast listeners, in exchange for your loyalty, had a price that was so undeniably affordable that if you wanted to change your financial situation, you could. So go check it out. All you have to do is go to thetruthaboutmoney.com. Again, go check it out at thetruthaboutmoney.com. You're going to love what you see there. All your questions will be answered. And I think you're going to love the small investment that you'll have to make in changing your financial life forever. Go check it out, thetruthaboutmoney.com. All right, so I'm really pumped for you to hear my episode with James Wedmore today because he's a legend. Like, you, you know how I found out about James? Everybody was raving about him in my life. Some of my mastermind members were raving about him. Some of my peers were raving about him. Like, everybody kept talking about this guy. I thought, I have to go meet him. So I started watching him on Instagram a little bit. I'm like, ooh, I love this dude. I resonate with him. And when he reached out and said, hey, I'd love to interview you, I was literally about to reach out to him and say, hey, I'd love to interview you. And that's how we ended up sitting down having this cage match, if you will. What I love is, you know, he's been teaching video marketing for years at an expert level to entrepreneurs. But my other favorite part is he is equally minded when it comes to teaching entrepreneurs sustainability and to have fun every single day. Something that I need a little bit more of because I can get caught up in the do, so to speak. I mean, he does it so well that, of course, he's been featured in entrepreneur.com and on Creative Live and all the other media outlets you could think of as well. So this conversation that we're about to sit down and have together, it goes everywhere from working with your spouse and the good and the bad about it to you know, what are our beliefs spiritually and what do they have to do with business to our favorite moments of generosity to how to hire and find your perfect team. I mean, we go all over the place and you're gonna love the takeaways the mic drops, and the lessons that we share. So get ready, listen up, because this episode is freaking fire. All right, James, my friend, are you ready for an adventure? I'm ready. All right, so for the listeners, they're like, wait a minute. Chris never starts by asking, are you ready for an adventure? We agreed like very last minute because you were going to interview me and then I was going to interview you. Like, why don't we just have this face off, like this volley back and forth and see where it goes. Nothing's off limits. And cage match. Cage match. Cage, podcast cage match. Oh my God, we might be on to a new genre. I'm not kidding. <laughs> we should start this show. And then you guys get to vote on the winner. Yes. Oh my God, we should have a prize. That'd be awesome. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we don't know where this thing's going to go, but we know it's going to deliver value because we're both good-hearted individuals with some really cool experiences that you know. the one thing I know about you is you've got everyone else's best interest in mind and, and so do I. So let's be vulnerable. Let's have a little bit of fun with this and let's see where it goes. Let's do it. So do we dare start with some rapid fire questions back and forth? All right. Here we go. Real easy one. Just get you warmed up. Favorite quote. Oh my gosh. I I, I got so much pressure. (laughs) Oh, I got one for you, but I got so much pressure when it's like rapid fire. I got to have an answer fast. It's a roomy quote. It's all rigged in your favor. No, no, no. Okay. Can you see my arm right now? Uh, What does that say? It says live as though the universe conspires in your favor. Yep. because I used to butcher the roomy quote all the time. And when I wanted to get it as a tattoo, I asked Lori, my wife, I said, 
Should I get the real one or the way I butcher it in my mind? She goes, get it the way you'd say it in your mind. And the- you guys can't see this, but he actually wrote Chris Harder underneath it. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> not <laughs> Can you imagine? Okay. I know we said rapid fire, but when my wife, when I, the very first day I met my wife, she was like annoyed by me going up and approaching her at the gym because the guy right before me that I didn't realize did this went up to her and said, Hey, my name's Jake. And he had his own name tattooed across his shoulder. And when he said, my name's Nate, Jake, he, he did this finger across the shoulder, across the name like that. Now you'll never forget. I know. I know. Okay. I got to ask you a rapid fire. Biggest embarrassment in your business? Oh, you know, Lori and I have gone massively, massively underwater financially in 2010. And here's why it was embarrassing. We lived... No, I lived because I ran the finances. Like my job title in banking and how many people I ran and our financial situation... I lived like that was the most value I offered. And so when it turned out to be a, a, a house of cards and when it all fell, man, I was stripped of my identity and I had to choose how I wanted to show up in the world from that moment on. But here's what made it really embarrassing. Plenty of moments. But we had just built this massive brand new house. And I know you said rapid fire. <laughs> uh, but just built this, ra- this massive brand new house. And the neighborhood was one of these you know, everyone talks about each other type of neighborhoods. And the guy across the street, his name was Greg. I remember it like it was yesterday. We, he saw the moving trucks out front. And this was when we had short sold the home. So there's never a for sale sign in the yard. And he came over. He's like, hey, what's going on with the moving trucks and all that? And we'd only been living there for like a year. And I said, well, I said, lost my job and uh, can't afford to stay here. So we short sold the house. And he looked at me, he goes, do you know what that's going to do to the values in the neighborhood? Oh my God. And it was the most humiliating, but also the most freeing, like, I'm so glad to no longer live next to these jerks type of moment oh, in my life. That's awful. Can you believe that's that? Awful that? That's the first thing out of somebody's mouth. And you're right. I know. I'm glad I'm moving. I hope, he, I hope he's listening to this by some, by some miracle. I hope he remembers that. Because mm-hmm, he's going through some financial hardship and he stumbles upon your podcast. Man, could you imagine the irony? Could you imagine the irony? I don't wish that on anybody. Did, but did yeah. that, no, of course not. But did that experience cause a lot of what inspired your show and your oh, message? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Here's why. I don't want anybody to pursue money for the wrong reason. My entire tagline is when good people make good money, they do great things. I want mm-hmm. them to pursue it because it's a tool that allows them to leverage it to do really great things in the world once they have it. And like everyone I interview, they all have this common thread of this great story of generosity, either in their success story or after their success story. And I've got loads of proof that intuitively, 99% of us, we want to make a bigger difference, but you need two things. You need love, right? You got to love people enough to make a difference. And number two, you need money because with love, you can go serve a sandwich and that's good. Or you can hand a $5 bill out and that's good. But with money, you can like shift a cause. And I believe that we're at a place right now where we need to shift some causes. Mm, I love that. What is your response to someone when they say something like, rich people are greedy? You know, it, it's formed from their paradigm. And so I'll ask them, I'll say, why do you feel that way? And they'll always have, well, because you know, I knew this guy growing up or every com- person I come across is a jerk or whatever. And I'll say, could you tell me about one of them? And I'll just ask them these very open-ended questions until they start to realize that it really comes down to one or two experiences they had that they've now seen the whole world through that colored lenses. Because of all the wealthy people that I know, 
I could maybe name two greedy people out of a thousand. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be a, a couple of bad actors in anything totally. that we do in the world. But the, but the bulk majority are the most caring, loving, generous humans on the planet. Yeah. I mean, this is really great. I, I love this message too, because I do think people think then that money makes somebody greedy. And chances are those two greedy people you met were greedy before they had money. Oh yeah, for sure. Money's <laughs> just, just an amplifier. Probably Money's just an amplifier. Like, let me ask you, I don't know your backstory. So was there a time before you were thriving like you are right now where you were barely making ends meet? Uh, yes. When, um, when was it? And how'd you feel about money then? There, there, was, a, there was a long time. <laughs> there was four year time. Uh, I was living in my parents' basement. And, um, how old? Which I'm so... I mean, like, look... Okay, people have had it. I mean, I've worked with clients that were homeless. Mm-hmm. You know, I never had it that bad. My parents live in Laguna Beach, the hometown I live now. It wasn't. It wasn't. So the basement bad. had an ocean view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the basement had the ocean view. But you know, the time that comes to mind for me was when I wanted to uh, buy my girlfriend a gift, and I looked in my bank account and I had less than a dollar to my name, mm-hmm. and that was like financially speaking. You know, it's trying to start a business, not having a clue what the heck I was doing. I felt I felt pretty like worthless. I just remember this thought that I said to myself, like, I can't even get my girlfriend a birthday gift. Like, how pathetic am I? Yeah, you know. So what'd you end that, up getting her? Well, it turned into a story that I've shared on my podcast, where what she wanted and what I wanted was Tony Robbins tickets. Uh, UPW was in town. It was in Long Beach. This is two thousand and nine. And um, this was the first time I started playing around with um, money. The concept of money is energy. And and actually, this was a this was a huge learning lesson for money for me. Is that I was looking at money. You know, money is a tool, right? But it's not the only tool. And up until that point in my life, I kind of told the story that if I want something, step one is get the money in order to get it. And this was an opportunity for me to say, well, what if I just like skip the money part and found a way to get these tickets? And the short version of the story is: is two days later, I'm playing tennis with a friend, and she just at, while we're swinging the racket back and forth. She's like, what have you been up to? And I was telling her the service I was doing at the time I was making videos for clients. She's like, will you make me one, please? If you do, I'll pay you in Tony Robbins tickets. Oh, no way. And I just... I hadn't told her. I hadn't said any of what was going on. I, didn't, I don't go to my friends and say like, Hey, guess what? I'm broke and I can't afford Tony Robbins tickets. I dropped my racket. I got chills and I was like, what, what did you say? And sure enough, like I made the video service for her. I made the video and three weeks later, I was at Tony Robbins. James, that's um, wild. Yeah, and that's when I started to believe in something like a little different than the very logical path of you know just hard work and, and hustle that I had been operating from. Do you know what you just made me think of? That phrase, when you ask better questions, you get better answers. Oh, and yeah. it just the hit me like a ton of bricks is- that that's what you did. You said you asked a better question, not how do I get the money, but how do I skip the money and get the tickets? Yeah, exactly. All right, exactly. So, ready? Here's a, here's a better question for you. What better question do you need yeah. to ask yourself these days? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was Richard Bandler, the founder of NLP. He said, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of questions you ask. And I think as entrepreneurs, if you don't make that one of your top skills, mm-hmm. asking better questions. See, most people are asking problem-based questions. They, they experience what they label as a problem and you put a box around it and then you get inside the, the box. You, you get stuck in there and you ask problem-based questions, problem-oriented questions like, why is this happening to me? Why is this always my experience? Why me? That just... That just solidifies that this is a problem, and you know the successful entrepreneurs we know they got out of that box 
because they asked a question that, that didn't operate in that box. They asked an outcome-oriented type question of what would be an easier way? What's a different way? What, what's the lesson? What's the opportunity? How can I grow? How can I change? How can I learn? Mm. And um, I mean, I'm just like... I, 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 I would literally say that that's my number one superpower today in, in my life and in my business is, is I've mastered the ability to ask myself really great questions. And when a problem, problem comes, I'm just like, let's do this. you know. And I just whip out all my questions and the answers come. So what's an area of life right now though that you need to ask a better question around? Mm, well, I'll tell you what I've uh, been asking. And I feel like this is maybe something that's been similar that's coming up for you is that we've had, we've had a massive growth spurt in, in the business. We took it from 3 to 8 million in... Congrats, um, less, by the way. Way to go. Year. Thank you. And you know that, that brings with it a lot. There's a lot more stuff. All good stuff, but a lot of opportunities. Where this year in 2018, we are running 17 events. Now, I love running events and workshops. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, that doesn't include the opportunities I've had to speak at other people's events. Mm-hmm. And we found ourselves like doing a little too much saying yes, oh. which is really weird because I used to be really good at that, saying no. And then we found ourselves like biting off more than we can chew. So we've been, we found ourselves in a very busy season. Mm. And so I'm asking myself a lot of questions around that. But one of the biggest ones that I always come back to now is getting, which helps me out of it, is getting very present to everything when it's on the table of am I am I going to say yes to this? Like getting down to the moment when you're like saying yes to do something and say if I say yes to this, what is this going to cost me? Mm-hmm. What what ha- what do I have to say no to if I say yes to this? Yeah. And I love your episode of because um, we've been doing a lot with this too, with um, knowing your what your hour mm-hmm. hourly time is worth because. That's what's at stake. Mm. That when you say yes to something, it's like, okay, well, if my time is $4,000 an hour and this is going to take X, hour, X hours from me, that's how much it's costing. So is it not going to produce 10 times the result of that? If not, why am I doing Yeah. This? Doesn't that help, by the way, Like when you quantify it that way? It really helps to say no to the little things like, eh, I don't want to have a $4,000 coffee with this guy. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. It's true, right? It, really, it yeah. makes it real for you because that's yeah. what you're giving up. Absolutely. So taking... Your conversation on that, and in our episode, I'll just link that episode up because I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think what what most struggling entrepreneurs are doing as as a mistake is they're looking at the cost of hiring somebody versus the cost of doing it yourself. Mm. So, like the fact that you can hire someone overseas virtually very inexpensively, you can hire someone locally part time for a few hours a week to get your time back. They're looking at that as a risk of and only focusing on that expense. Yeah. And so let's say you hired someone locally for 10 to 12 dollars an hour, 12, you know, 12 bucks to just be a personal assistant and we're talking about like if it's part-time it's it could be 100 bucks a week. Mm-hmm. It starts giving you a few hours back. But if every hour of your time is like $1000 and that's a minimum, that's a conservative number and I love the math equation you create for that. Basically every time you decide to do something yourself that you know you shouldn't be doing, it's costing you a minimum of 900 bucks every hour. Yeah. And um, now to take that conversation that you shared on your episode to a whole nother level, I'm now sharing that with my executive leadership team. Oh, that's awesome. So, so now they have an hourly rate and, and like, nope, you got to get this off your plate. You got to let this go because you got to stay at this level. 
And that's been a big focus right now is bringing those leaders up in my team. And that's what's helping me get my a lot of my time back. A and lot. That's so cool. You, you, you know where that came from, that, that equation for Lori and I? When we mm. were busted, broke and making our comeback, like we didn't have any doubt around our capability of making our comeback, but we knew we had to change a lot of things, both mentally and, and in our actions and habits. And one of the things was I said to Lori, I'm like, babe, if we're really going to mount this big comeback, you can't be spending all Saturday folding laundry, doing laundry and cleaning the house. Like yeah. we're wasting an entire day of either resting and recovering or income producing hours. Yes. And so picture this, <laughs> we're broke, we're making our comeback. And I'm like, I want to hire these cleaners. And we're living in this tiny little apartment and it was $91 per week. And Lori was like, are you insane? That's $400 a month. I said, yeah, but this $91 a week is going to give us thousands of dollars of income producing hours back. We really think that we're going where we're going. And so reluctantly, she agreed to it. And it was like two weeks in. She's like, this is the best thing we've ever done. Because sure enough, we traded that time and energy for income producing hours and also for recovering and, and making sure we stayed a couple. This is such a fantastic conversation because this is what most most people aren't doing. And this is the difference of where most people are operating from their current circumstances. They're saying, I look at the bank account. Chris, I don't, I don't have the money for that. That doesn't make sense logically. And so, um, But your, your current circumstances, the money you have in the account now is a byproduct of your actions, your decisions, and your behaviors in the past. Yeah. So if you keep making decisions based on what you've done in the past, you're just repeating your past. Well, yeah. And, and, and so- James, you know what it made me do? It made me... As soon as I tasted it, I was like, oh, I need to, to make sure that I have enough money to continue this service. So sometimes right. when you put yourself on the line with you're oh. like, oh, there's no way I'm not going to have this anymore. It makes you rise yeah. to the occasion. Yeah. I was talking about this with one of our coaching clients recently about how easy it is for us to distract ourselves with the, with the lower level activities. There's always going to be more items on the to-do list you know, that are there calling your name. It's like the siren beckoning your name. Come work on me because I'm easy mm-hmm. and simple and you've done this before. It's familiar. But it's not the income-producing activities, and it's it's this illusion of productivity because you do it and you you feel accomplished. You cross it. Look what I did today! I'm so productive, and it's like, but what did that do to move the business forward? Yeah. And what did that really take you away from? People can get really addicted to checking things off the list yeah. instead of moving things forward. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you a question because you talk about the going from broke to this the comeback. Yeah. Is there a fear that that will come back? Fear of loss again. Yeah. Yeah. That's always deep rooted. But here's the thing. People are like, when am I going to get over this fear? No matter what your fear is, right? Insert your fear here. When am I going to get over this fear? And here's my belief. You never get over the most deep rooted fears. You learn how to manage them really well so that you are changing your default. So whenever, and what do they say? They say you teach what you need the most. So it's no wonder that I teach a a podcast on on money mindset and, and finances, right? So what I mean by that is it starts, the more that you're able to catch a fear and reframe it and catch a fear and reframe it, in this case, we're talking about abundance, then the more it starts to become your new normal, your new default. So it doesn't mean it pops up. It just means that you change it that much quicker. Let me give you another analogy. Yeah. I used to be really judgmental, like crippling levels of judgment. And the problem is when you're judgmental of other people and you hold them to such a high standard, then you think they're doing the same to you and that brings insecurity. It's a horrible spiral, right? And it feels like crap being judgmental anyways, except you do it because it's your default mode. 
And so I'll spare you the story, but I went to Costa Rica and I had judgment stripped for me in like one trip. It was the best gift I've ever been given. Now, does that mean that judgment never pops up for me anymore? No. What it means is my new default is like in a a trillionth of a second, I catch it and I reframe it to, oh, that's judgment. And I reframe it to how how interesting that they wear an outfit like that. How interesting that that's their choice. How interesting that that's their their theory on that. And it's been one of the greatest gifts I've learned is to not wish your fears away because then you feel like it never happens, but to retrain uh, how quickly you catch them and how quickly you can transition into an opposite thought. Well, I know you said you wanted to spare us the story, yeah. but I think we'd all like to hear. Yeah, how I'll you tell it. Ripped away this this habit of judgment. I'll totally tell it. So um, this is funny. This was back when I was more bro, and boy, we're probably probably going to get into this because you're like, oh, my podcast is woo woo to use your words. In. So this was oh, yeah. long before I I did any quote woo woo, and um, my wife told me she's like, hey, I want you to come to this surf and yoga retreat in Costa Rica. The resort looks beautiful. She showed me like one picture, like the best picture of the place possible. And uh, I think we're really going to love it. I'm like, okay, I'll come along. What she left out was it was not a surf and yoga retreat. It was a meditation and yoga retreat that was 11 out of 10 woo woo and totally outside my comfort zone. And we stayed in like huts with crappy little twin beds. We couldn't even sleep together. Like I fit in one bed, she fit in one bed. (laughs) No electricity, no internet, no nothing. So when I got there, I was pissed. I was like, babe, this is not what you told me it was. And for, for context, now I, I love staying there. We go back there every year. But mm. before this moment, if it wasn't the Ritz, then I wasn't going. You know what I mean? So here I am in Costa Rica. I can't get a flight back because it's about six o'clock in the evening. And I said to her, I'm like, babe, don't let this be the first big thing in our marriage, but I'm going back tomorrow morning because this is not what you said it is. This is going to be the worst week of my life. This is not what I signed up for. And she's like, all right, that's fine. I'm sorry. I remember seeing like the heartache on her face. And she said, in the meantime, would you at least come with us to see these massive sea turtles that are hatching? It's supposed to be one of the wonders of the world. Like, what else am I going to do? Sit here in the dark with no internet, no TV? Of course I'll come along. So as we're going to meet the rest of the group, here is this guy that I had met two years earlier in in Croatia of all places at a, um, do you know what Awesomeness Fest is? A fest. That is that that Mind Valley? Yeah. Yep. So I had met him um on a boat and we had mutual friends and he's this over the top Italian that is like as spiritual as they come. His name is Gregario. And when I met him two years prior to Costa Rica, he he gave me a hug. So I kind of gave him a bro hug, like patted him on the back, and he grabbed me and he goes, No. You do not insult another man with a hug by patting him on the back. You embrace and you hold like this. Now, remember, at this point, I'm just super bro. So I'm like, oh, this guy's about to die. Like, I am really pissed. And uh, that was the end of that transaction, that and a couple other things that he annoyed me with a little bit uh, in Croatia. But here, two years later, I'm going to go meet the, go see the sea turtles. And who's the first face I see? Gregario. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, this just went from bad to worse. This dude's going to be here all week. Now I'm really going home. Gosh. Except here's what's here's how the night started to unfold. Uh, number one, to see the sea turtles is rainy season in Costa Rica. We had to walk through the mud a little bit and I started to feel like a kid again. Then we had to, because all the bridges were washed out, we had to um, take cattle trucks with like cattle shit and stuff in the cattle truck across the rivers, which was really cool. It was like being a kid driving across a river in cattle trucks. 
And then I got there and sure enough, everyone has to see us once in their life. As far as I could see to the right, I mean, as far as I could see, and as far as I could see to the left, all the way down the beach were these massive millions of sea turtles slowly coming up to lay their eggs. I have never seen anything so majestic in my life, millions of them. And uh, I had so much fun with the group and even Gregario. And um, (laughs) (laughs) that when I went back that night, Lori's like, are you still going home in the morning? And I said, no, not only am I not going home, but I will stay and I will play at 110% because it's a small group, like 20 people, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody. So if I stay, I'm staying for the right reasons. And uh, I'm so glad I did because I got to know Gregario over that week. And to this day, he's one of the most fascinating, most incredible, most accomplished, most beautiful human beings I have ever met in my life. And I remember halfway through that trip saying, dude, you almost missed out on this because you judged the place and you judge the activities and you judge Gregario, you almost missed out on this man who is, I mean, I love the, I love the guy now. And you almost missed out on this place I go to every year now. And I almost missed out on this change in this way of life, all because of judgment. And it just like left my body. It's like when, you hit, when you're an alcoholic and you, you finally throw up one too many times, you never want to have a drink again. It's like, I'm done. No more judgment. And from that moment on, I decided I'm always going to catch it and reframe it. And now it's my new default. Yeah, well, I love what you're saying too about catching it and reframing it. It's almost as if you've reframed judgment as anytime you're in judgment, you're going to miss out on the most amazing opportunity in your life. Yeah. And boy, have I met great people now because I'm more open. James, all the best stuff in my life now, quite honestly, is because I've been so much more open to brand new opportunities. Yeah. Do you feel like... Because I was very judgmental too. Mm -hmm. Very. Totally. Do you feel... Do you resonate with the idea that if you're judgmental to others, it also means that you're really judgmental on yourself? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it came from, I held myself to a ridiculous standard. So I held everyone else to a ridiculous standard. And then in my mind, I thought, well, they must be holding me to the same standard if I'm holding them to this one. And it just becomes this horrible spiral when no one's really holding anybody to any standard. People really, at the end of the day, they just want to be loved and have a good time, man. Yeah. Oh man, that's so great. I'm, I'm glad you did not spare us. The details <laughs> that's really good. What do you want to do? You want to do another? I got some rapid fire. So you want to go back to rapid, rapid yeah, fire? Lay it on me, man. Let's see where this thing goes. I'm loving it so far. Okay. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but you can look it up really fast on okay. Instagram. You know what percent of your audience is male versus female? Ooh, let me look real quick. Super fast, super fast. What's yours? Do you know offhand? Yeah. It, it, it's 70% female, 30% male. I know my and- podcast listeners are 60% female. Mm-hmm. All right. Insights, audience. It is 61% women, 39% men. Okay. That actually, yeah. you know what's funny? My podcast is 60 40. So that's really close. That's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I have to. How do you know you're, do you have stats that's, that say that? Uh, so we poll, we'll send out like survey monkeys. Uh, yeah. And we might only get like 500 responses, but it's enough to give us, yeah. you know, who our listeners are. So, so ours is now. Um, it's gone. It keeps going up. More, more female. And uh, there's a part of me that's that's like, well, we're all the dudes. Mm-hmm. But then, but and it's like, you know, whatever. We'll list whoever wants to listen. Why do you think that both your audience and my audience? I, I have a theory on mine. Are two thirds women, one third men? My team and I talk about this all the time. And we, have, I mean, we have a couple of of theories. I know I'm more feminine in nature. Like I have more feminine energy. So that helps. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I, when I started my podcast, it was 
what I joked about coming out of the like woo woo closet of like here's really what I've been all the weird stuff I've been doing behind the scenes that just keeps working for me. And what my vision always was was to be <laughs> the gateway drug to convert skeptical minds because I was very skeptical. Very, very. Uh, when you know my personality type, INTJ, very logical scientist. You know, like no nonsense, linear left brainer. And so I needed. You know, I was very like anti all this stuff. And um, but I was at least willing to be an experimenter, which was open minded enough. And so that's really who I was targeting my message for. And what you what I found out was I was attracting the people that were just already aligned with the message. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, just yeah, I already know it, and share more with it. And you know, because a lot of so like if you if you break down that that distinction of like masculine and femi- feminine in messaging, especially with the things like business and marketing, a more masculine message is going to be something more like money and results mm-hmm. and conversions. And I look at our titles, and a lot of them are not. It's like how to dissolve fear. You know, I think one that's coming out next week is how to reprogram failure in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's uh, last week's episode was how to what to do when you don't have the support of your spouse. So. Yeah. I think a lot of the content attracts more women, which is, I mean, there's no problem. I'm just kind of like, where the dudes, you should be listening to this too. I think it... So what you were really saying was you came out with something that first attracted a handful of women. And then, of course, like-minded attracts like-minded. So where are your referrals going to come from? Oh, you got to listen to the show. It's going to come from the women who are already listening. So of course, it'll fall onto some guys, but... If you started with mostly women, then they're going to tell more women and they're going to tell more women. And it's just going to kind of, I think the numbers will kind of stay that way unless you dramatically shifted your message. You know, I think mine tilts that way for a couple of reasons. One, I think I'm really balanced masculine and feminine. Uh, at least that's what I'm told. Uh, number two, my wife was, uh, I want to use the word famous. What's the word I'm going to use? The super duper well-known one long before I did anything. And so I think it was natural that her audience said, oh, who's this husband that's showing up all of a sudden Mm. and out of pure curiosity became my first listeners. And then um, of course, like I just said, women tell more women, tell more women, tell more women kind of a thing. But I bet you both you and I, I'd be interested to get Instagram DMs sent to both of us. I wonder if it's that we're a little bit more disarming and a little bit more open to both ways of thinking. Yeah. I've been, I've been told that exactly. Exact same thing before. Speaking like, of women, here's how here's what I want to ask you. You yeah. run your business with your wife, right? Up until recently? Yeah. Uh, in fact, this is uh, something that we haven't really said publicly. My, my wife has been working in the business for four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, she came... Actually, she only came onto the business, into the business because she was uh, working for somebody else and she's miserable. Mm. And I just hated... First of all, like knowing... Like how to be a good boss. I saw someone who was an off, like treated her horribly. Mm-hmm. For example, she would come in, the person would be crying and saying things like, I don't have any money left. I don't even know if I can pay you next oh, week. Oh, worst leadership ever. By the way, can you go get my laundry? <laughs> Who's going to want to stick around for that? Exactly. And she's such, Chelsea's such a loyalist mm-hmm. that she stuck around. And it just was a very toxic environment. So, you know, James, the man and the, the the savior wanted to come in and, and like fix it. So I was like, please let me just like go go come into the business. I don't care what you do. You can do whatever you want. I'll just put you on payroll and you just like do whatever you can just to get out of this. Of course, she comes in, she fell in love with it. And mm-hmm. she just like went to town and together we we really created like we we kind of like phoenixed the business, like 
burned it down and recreated it. How and, long ago? Uh, this is this was four four and a half years okay. now that we started, and um, just amazing. But now she, her, and I have made the decision that uh, we want to have kids, mm. and so the last six months have actually been, and we've are, just completed it, has been a, a phasing her out of the business. So. She now simply has a advisory role. She's mm-hmm. involved in our big executive meetings, but no work, no wow. work. Wow, interesting. Yeah. You got, we are now for the audience's context. We've never met before, right? So this is kind of unfolding yeah. for for both of us. But here's what's weird: boy, are we on a, a similar parallel right now? From your favorite quote being tattooed on my arm, yeah, that's, that's so to weird. you know where we're at with our spouses. You know, I work with Lori and all of our businesses and. I was going to ask you what's the best part and what's the worst part. So start getting that in mind. But the fact that she's in transition and you guys want to start having kids, we're the exact same thing. This is wow. the, the year that we're in transition. We want to start having kids. And we've been married for, it'll be 14 years this August. So I always say we had to yeah. make sure we liked each other. You know, <laughs> Our, our uh, three-year anniversary is in two days. Oh man, congratulations early. I love it. I love it. And uh, so Lori is also in transition. Um, she's pulling out of the influencer game, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't worry, her podcast will still be around and, and, and that stuff, but no more e-courses from her. No more like, no more no more of that type of marketing. She is going to head up building our first big boy, big girl company. Like one where you have to raise capital and yeah. you know, build a massive company and, and sell it. Um, she's got something exciting brewing inside of her that I'm not allowed to share yet, but it's exciting. We're, we're both in this really cool transition of, hey, let's start a family. And in her case, you know, hey, no more influencer stuff. I want to go start start this other thing on the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Really best awesome. part and worst part about working with your spouse. The best part about working with your spouse. Now, I want to remind people this because I really do. Like, I'm sure you're the same way. We don't necessarily want to jump around and be like, you should go work with your spouse. It's amazing. Yeah. Tread, um, tread lightly, tread cautiously, everyone. Exactly. One of the fortunate opportunities I had was that the business was already very successful when we even met. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to joke and tell the story of one of the ways I was courting my wife was sending her text messages with links to my YouTube videos. And, uh, <laughs> with all the views. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she thought I was funny. And, you know, one thing led to the next, you know, you know. But the business was already doing well. So, you know, and, and I've heard studies where like the, the 60 to 70% of fights in a marriage um, are caused by money. Yep, true. Uh, that was not something directly that was ever an issue for us. So the greatest gift was two really, but the first one and the greatest one of all was some, I'd, been, I'd been working on this business for what, eight, eight years. To have somebody who cared about it as much as I did was such a, it was almost like someone else got to carry half of the weight for a little bit but to love it as much as I did to be as healthy sometimes unhealthy obsession and passionate about mm-hmm. it to share that with with another human that isn't like an employee was was the greatest thing That's I just cool. like we were in it together also where she put her focus made all the difference in the world because James the face the marketer the money maker she was the everything else. She was the operation. She was the, I'm going to clean it from the inside out. And she really uh, opened my eyes to a lot of that. And that we, I mean, like when I talk about this phoenix rising from the ashes, like her vision, she, I had an external vision and you know, still do of where we're taking the company and the impact we want to have in the world. But she had an internal vision, which I'd never heard before. She says, we want to run like a Fortune 100 company, mm. no matter what revenue we're at. And, uh, and she did that. 
I mean, she made that happen. That's cool. So imagine, you know, being able to be the entrepreneur and step fully into that and to have someone right there that's that's doing everything else is the it's the greatest gift, you know. That's cool. How do you yeah. so what's the worst part? The worst part. Yeah. The 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 thing we struggled with the most was being that I'm very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Big crazy ideas. The bigger the better. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the ways in which I gauge my ideas is people's facial reactions. <laughs> the more they think I'm crazy and stupid, the more I know I'm on the right track. There was a lot of stuff that I was doing thinking entrepreneurial that she and I did not see eye to eye on mm-hmm. a lot. And what I found myself now struggling more, and it's all very good, mm-hmm. was I had to make an argument for my ideas a lot more than I had in the past versus just being like, I'm just going to go do this. Yeah, thing. no more free reign. Yeah. And so like a great example of this, and, and, and she, she totally came around. <laughs> I wore it down eventually, poor thing. But like, for example, she'd see Facebook ad expenses. You know, She's mm-hmm. looking at all of our expenses and wanting to lower costs. And she said, "We, why are you spending twenty thousand dollars in Facebook ads? Are you nuts? What mm-hmm. Facebook's free? You know, <laughs> not not understanding the marketing side of it." And it took a while to like explain, like, "No, no, actually, the more we spend there, the more it grows, the more." And so conversations like that, where we wouldn't see eye to eye, was uh, a, a challenge. But I always wanted to honor that the difference of opinion mm-hmm. because it's. It's healthy as well. There's value in it. A second set of eyes, especially when it's a, it comes from a different perspective. Yeah. But when I would say the other challenge too is like when you're... When the person's in it with you, sometimes it's, it's like the distinction of having someone on the team versus a cheerleader. Mm. And sometimes like the guy, the dude, the man, you know, when he's had a, a long day, he wants to come home to the cheerleader and only from the sense of like someone on the outside who's gonna, who doesn't know the true story, just listens to your distorted view of yep. what happened and yep. totally the one sided view. Yep. My one sided, I'm right view. And when they're in there with you, they're like, well, that's not exactly how it happened. James. You're like, I know, but I need you to just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So when you're like always in it, there, sometimes it's hard to have that separation. But yeah. I always say that, you know, the best part and the worst part about working with your spouse is this. The best part is it gives you more to dream about in common. Like there's nothing better than chasing down a goal, chasing down a dream, starting a new company and seeing it happen. But it gives you more to fight about than the average couple too, right? Budgeting, marketing, failed launches, hiring, firing, all that stuff. So it gives you more to dream about together and it gives you more to fight about together. Totally. Like I'm, I'm really big picture. So I'm, um, and she's very detail oriented. So I do a lot of absent-minded professor type things, and so it's enough when I do that in the in in the ha- in the house. Like, for for example, like my poor wife, I picked her up from the airport once. She went and visited friends, and she she we came back, and I just left the front door of our home open, like wide open, wide open. Oh my god! Like not unlocked, open, 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 open. <laughs> and she's like, "You just left the front door open," and I'm like. I did. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I would have pretended to some, some, I'd be like, no babe, stay back. No, Someone no, broke I in. <laughs> like Someone I locked broke. it. I swear. And I'd like go search in the whole house and pretend I'm looking for somebody just to save yeah. face. And something got stolen. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd hide something. Honey, look, they took the space. Yeah. <laughs> so I do, I do those things and she's got a lot of patience for me there. And so some of those things happen in the business too. So you're absolutely right. Like there's more of those in the business for her to point out. 
Like, where's the checkbook? I don't, I don't know where the checkbook is. <laughs> what about running a team? Well, you and I were talking offline. We've both done an excellent job of building an extraordinary team. Matter of fact, I call mine the thoroughbreds and they're proud. They call themselves the thoroughbreds. I love um, and if you look at our text message reel, our team text message reel, it's titled the thoroughbreds with all these fireworks and stuff. And uh, so you and I, and this is a hard thing to do. You and I have both built excellent teams. And I think most people struggle with that. What's your tip for building a team? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was asked by uh, on one of my episodes by Noah Kagan. He asked me, um, what's your greatest accomplishment? And I said, building my team. And mm. then he said, why? And I said, because it is the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Finding your people is the hardest part of business. Totally. And mm. it's one of the things that should be top one priority because mm-hmm. um, gr- great people are everywhere. So that's a belief that a lot of people have. Like, there's no great people left. Mm-hmm. It's not true at all. That's not that's so not true. So the first thing I would suggest is that, you know, I, I say this phrase over and over again of what got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. And I think and a very interesting kind of conundrum that I believe is that the greater you are as an entrepreneur, the more you're going to suck as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, what a lot of great entrepreneurs like boot bootstrap startup you know do it all yourself attitude that that doesn't have very many of the ingredients of what a what a great leader is mm. and so i start to call it you know the the death of the entrepreneur because some of those qualities have to die off in mm-hmm. fact even at my seven figure clients the biggest thing they struggle with is letting go of control and yeah. i really think there's a a direct correlation to the amount of control you're willing to let go and how well performing your team becomes. That's such a seven figure thing too, by the way, isn't it? Like you can muscle yourself to seven figures with just a couple of people helping you, but to transcend beyond multiple seven figures, it really is totally letting go. And it's brand new space for everybody. And most of my listeners are like personal brand mm-hmm. these expert type people. And it becomes particularly hard to let go because you know if we're just being real about it there's a lot of ego and like yeah. ego and fear yeah to, i mean totally you know but like every yeah, a lot of self importance too comes up you know like people start getting a bunch of likes and followers and we start telling ourselves things like you know i'm a genius i'm so good yeah ex- i mean exactly you like, and i just said it we're like we build such good teams <laughs> yeah but anybody can build a great team you know but when you start saying like from a self-important standpoint, if it's like uh, only I can do this, no one could do this as great as me, that's just I think that's very detrimental thinking yeah. because it's not true. I think a level of of mastery is when is when you can get somebody to replicate and do what you do even better than you do. So I had a I heard a quote, and I heard it on like a woo-woo Instagram feed. It had nothing to do with business. But for me, it had everything to do with business. This one quote completely changed my life in in the context of our team building. And the quote says, uh, when a flower doesn't bloom, you don't blame the flower. You blame the environment in which it grows. Mm. And that's when I realized where the line, the delineation of responsibility is when you start working with a team. And that what we tend to do, talk about go back to judgment, is we tend to observe someone's behavior and then we we just judge them. Like you didn't, you came, you know, came to the office 10 minutes late. You're late. You're lazy. You don't pay, you know, you're this type of person. 
And I believe, you know, well, first of all, let's take some responsibility and who hired this person, Mm -hmm. you know, so we can always improve our hiring environments, our hiring processes, instead of just blaming people. But also, when you do attract the right people, I do believe that people innately want to do well. Mm -hmm. They want to do a good job. They want to make you happy as the boss, as the entrepreneur, as the CEO. And they want to thrive. They want to, to use this analogy, they want to bloom. Mm -hmm. But we tend to think of them and see them through the same filter that we see ourselves as entrepreneurs. Mm. And so we kind of just overlay these this same beliefs of like, well, they should just figure... I figured it out. They should just figure it out. They yeah. should want... They should be as hungry as I was. They should care as much as I did. I mean, don't please never hire somebody and your job... I just want you... What's my responsibility? Care as much as I do about this. That's, not, that's never going to happen, right? And, and so I took on this idea of how do I create an environment where everybody thrives? Not everybody, but the right people. And that changed everything for me. And that's the most simplistic way I can... I can phrase that. What a great way to build everything around though. How do I do this so that everybody thrives? Because now you're taking everybody's strengths and weaknesses into mind instead of trying to force them into your paradigm. Because that's that's when it breaks down. You said it yourself. Lori and I, so Lori and I are idea machines. Yeah. Um, Like no shortage of life-changing epic ideas. The problem is nothing. And I mean, nothing would ever come to fruition without our team because we have purposely hired the opposite of what we are, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's our goal is surround ourselves with who we're not. Because, hey, we got X, Y, and Z covered. No problem there. I need freaking one, two, and three covered or we're going to fail. And that's how we build our team. One of the biggest hiring mistakes people make is they hire people they like mm-hmm. or people that are like them. Like, this person's amazing. They remind me of myself. Yeah. <laughs> so say no to them. Don't yep. hire them. Because you're right. You need... You need those complementary strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're a, a P, ESTP on the Myers-Briggs, needing someone or having someone who's a, a strong J, like as your right-hand person is like absolutely essential. Someone that can... You start on a project and then you hand it off to them and they go to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely essential. You brought up the Myers-Briggs. You and I were talking about that offline. I was getting an awesome education on the spot. Um, we determined that I am an ESTP. What does that yeah. say about me? Yeah. Uh, well, I was telling you before, it's, uh, it's the same personality type as Lewis Howes. I know Lewis really well. We used to be in business together. And so with, with, with Lewis, it just like, it was actually really surprised me that it was your type. I, I, was, I chose a completely different, you know, I like to speed read. Uh, not as a judgment, just like mm-hmm. you know, trying to assess, and uh, it's a fun game for me. So I came out with a completely different type for you. But then, actually, the more you shared your story, you talked about this kind of like this, like I don't know, maybe it was a 1.0 version or previous version of you, where you were like more of the the bro guy. Mm-hmm. Like, it actually starts starts to make a lot of sense. Like, I get the sense just meeting you recently that you've had your own like transformations and 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 shifts in your life, mm-hmm. um, and so. The the ESTP, there's a couple things there. Like we can break it down from each letter individually, but then together it it forms a, a picture. And the ESTP tends to be like the number one thing I've I've read on ESTP is that they're very um they have a very competitive nature or they see things through the lens of of competition, which could be there, there's nothing good or bad about that. Actually, competition can have a, a positive, you know, strength and it can have a shadow side, right? 
you know, when everything's a competition and you keep losing, you're going to start being really hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also drive you. Like for me in our business, we have a lot of friends and peers and we have a lot of friendly competitions. And I do it because it drives me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in like a mastermind with someone and you, you have a friendly competition. But the, the P is a, as an entrepreneur is, is always a, a tricky one because the, the, the P tends to be someone who's very creative, very quick start, new ideas, just like jump at something. Yeah, that's and, me. Um, yeah. But when it comes to follow through and getting to the finish line, that's where it can be a challenge. So also when you're talking about how you've mastered a your calendar. Yes. That that to me sounds like something that you've you've created a sense of structure in your life to counteract that. Like if you didn't have that structure in place that you didn't rely on, chances are it'd be a lot harder to get some things done. Oh yeah, it's my crutch. I live and die by that calendar or or I feel out of control. Yeah. I've had to Whereas do it for I'm, survival. For, for me, I'm actually very nat- naturally very, very structured um, by my personality type and I'm very good at getting things done. I mean, you and I are the exact opposite letters. Every single letter. As you're an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a sensor, I'm an intuitive, the N. Uh, actually, no, sorry. We're both a T. So both, both logical left brain mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a J. Mm-hmm. So very linear, very do things in order. You know, cross. I love my to-do list, and I've tried to. I try to actually avoid calendars as much as possible. Oh. I try to create as much free and open space because I'll have that tendency of just keep going and work. Like once I start something, I can't pull away until it's done. Like I have a really hard time starting something and not finishing it. I'll have a hard time starting. Once I start, I can't walk away until it's done. That's so like funny. The, yeah, it's like the most painful thing. If if I was if we were in the middle like right now, if we're in the middle of this episode and there was a fire in this building, I'd have a really hard time leaving oh, because I'm you like, need completion. No, I need to finish the episode. Yeah, you need completion. Yeah. That's totally. that's wild. Yeah, so here's the, my assistant Dakota. Um, she's our event planner and and one of our assistants. She says to me, she goes, "I realized the other day just how much trust you have in me to mm-hmm. plan all these masterminds." And I looked at her and said. Yeah, well, you know, you do a great job. And of course I trust you to make all the right decisions. Cause I'm I'm like, hey, it's in four days. Make sure you got all the restaurants booked. Like we're talking like really trust her. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I'm glad it comes across as trust because really it's I start something and then I can't do the details. I literally yeah. don't have the details inside of me. I can't right. execute on the details. It's like a personality defect in in me. So I need the people that I can trust to complete all the details or I'm screwed. I mean, this is a very fascinating concept to me because I wonder if that's correlated to being the idea generator. Because I think sometimes people kill their own ideas because they they already start thinking through all the details. They, in other words, they find all the reasons why it won't work or how much time it's actually going to take or what it's really going to do. Like if you start going like, "I have this idea, we're going to create this mastermind," and your mind immediately goes to, "But we got to plan this. We got to do this. We got to have that." I I wouldn't want to do it either. Yeah. You know? yeah. My, so, all I picture is the fun parts. I'm like, oh yeah, that you're right. 40 people in a room and let's get giraffes and elephants at dinner. All right, great. See you there. <laughs> like that's, that's about where my planning ends. I'm sorry. Wait, 
Did you say giraffes and elephants in a room? Oh, the only reason I said that is we're actually taking them on uh, the Malibu Safari. I, I'm glad this is coming out after this weekend because my mastermind is this weekend. You actually yours is too. Uh, yeah, I'll make sure that we don't release this. Yeah, thing. we're taking them on the Malibu Safari as a surprise on on the last evening. And uh, we're going to go see yeah. all the giraffes and elephants and lions and tigers and bears and everything else that they have up there and then have this this dinner up on, you know, st- under string lit hilltop. It's cool. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I'm not somebody that I would say has um, a lot of ideas, mm. actually. I feel like my strength is more that I just recognize a great idea when I see one. Mm-hmm. And I know how to just implement it. Um, and that's really become our strength. So I think this is also this commentary of like, know your strengths. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs are under this idea that they have to be this whole complete package. Yeah. Like, gotta nope. be amazing at everything. And like, no one is. And how amazing things happen when you start attracting people around you that uh, complement your strengths and yeah. make, make up for your weaknesses. You know? I, I, I hope people heard that. Like, I hope that really empowers them because... Too many people are stuck on, I don't know how. You're not supposed to freaking know how. You're supposed to find someone who knows how. Nobody knows all of the how. You, you do your part. I would say play to your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. And it, when you can grasp that, play to your strengths and delegate your weaknesses, that's when everything opens up for you. Totally. Well, the whole how thing is a really interesting concept too because if you really look at what the, na- the nature of entrepreneurship is, it's creating something that didn't exist. hmm so if if the, if you knew how, then it would already exist. Mm-hmm. And I think people are very indoctrinated into a much more um, employee-based mindset their entire lives where you're just told, here are the steps, here's the instruction manual, here's how to do it. And so we become very dependent on it. And the thing is, is, is entrepreneur, true entrepreneurs see something in their mind that does not... I mean, they are an artist. It's just a different form of art. They see something in their mind that is not yet created. Mm-hmm. So if it's not yet created, then there's no instruction manual for how to do it. Exactly. And exactly. that's part of the gift is figuring it out as you go along. And yes, finding people to, to help you do it. Yeah, it really is. It's, when you let go of the controls and you just do what you're good at and, and hire out the rest, I'm telling you, it's, it's the secret sauce. It really yeah. is. Let me ask you about generosity. So on, on my show, sure. we mm-hmm. always get into conversations about money mindset and generosity and all that stuff. Yeah. How's generosity? I'd love, to, I'd love to go as much into money mindset as you want to. That's I've, awesome. Let's, let's, let's go there. What, what role has generosity played in your success? Like specifically? You know, for a very long time, I think the first half of my um, entrepreneurial career, it was all about James getting his. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really great lesson for me because... It gives me a lot of compassion and understanding that most it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Most people are, you know, in survival mode. And I've got to get I gotta get mine because I gotta get my my bills and all that stuff. And and then you you start to reach these limits in your life where you like hit a plateau where you know you put a certain amount of money, like six figures, seven figures on a pedestal. And then you hit those numbers. And that part of you that was like had needs is fulfilled. So you're not driven by that anymore. And then there's that part of you of like, let's the entrepreneurial, let's see if I can do this. And then you do it. So you're not driven by that anymore. And that's what happened to me. And I started really asking me, well, then what is driving me? And, and it wasn't really until 
I tapped into needs that weren't being met, which I haven't used the word specifically generosity, but uh, impact and service, right? That I, I think I tapped into like, you know, the, the rocket fuel. Mm-hmm. Like, it took everything to a, to a whole nother level for me because that's kind of like the drug that never wears off. Yeah. And that, it's interesting is. though. You know, I like how you start out your story. You're saying, well, the first half of my entrepreneurial career was just James getting his. Yeah. Here's what I teach all the time. And this is important. We don't have to apologize for that part of our story. And mm-hmm. if you're in that part of your story right now, we embrace it because whatever your carrot is, and when I say your carrot, I mean the old story, the old adage of the donkey. How do you lead a donkey with a carrot or a stick, right? Jam it from behind with a stick or lead it with a carrot. It'll follow the carrot forever. Don't judge whatever your carrot is right now because your carrot is what gets you out of bed. It's what gets you to create the income producing machine, insert business here. And once you start getting a few of those shallow carrots, you're like, all right, they're cool. And that was fun, but it's not as cool as I thought it would be. What else is next? Like something is still missing. And now when you get to that stage in your life where you're like, what else is next? Now that original carrot is the thing that got your money printing machine up and running and spewing off all this cash. So that when you say what's next, so it must be contribution, you have the cash to actually freaking contribute. So people need to stop judging other people's carrots. I can't stand that. And they need to stop apologizing for their own carrot, whatever it is right now. Because if we're being honest, most people don't wake up uh, at 16 or 20 or 25 and be like, oh, I can't wait to provide clean drinking water for the world. Right. right. That happens later in life after a lot of life experience. Totally. Well, and I'll be honest, like there, there does feel a little layer of shame around it because you get to this place mm-hmm. where you realize you're operating from this belief of, well, once I make a certain amount of money, then I can start giving back, contributing, blah, blah, blah. And then you get there and you realize, all right, if I'm being honest, I, I could have done more the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have something to offer and to but give. That's living in the past. Like, Any other area in life, I bet you'd be like, stop living in the past. Yeah. When it comes to giving people like, oh, I could have made such a bigger difference. No, you couldn't have because you weren't motivated to at the time. Mm, Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. But um, yeah, we, 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 uh, we, we sure are now. We last year, and I've talked about this on my podcast. I don't know if you know Stu McLaren well, Mm -mm. um, but he, uh, he and his wife run an organization called Village Impact. And they invited us to go to Kenya last year, last Ooh, summer. Ooh, that changes. There's nothing like a mission trip, like boots oh, on the ground, third world. Yeah. Let's totally. talk about this. Go for it. We, uh, so what you don't realize, like the first piece is that like, it's on the other side of the world. It's so easy to just like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll uh, go. How bad's the flight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, no, I really resisted. I was like, oh my gosh, it really is a long flight. You got to get all these shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course you're there and and then you hear the story and it's not that we're just like helping people in rural Kenya that, you know, like aren't as advanced and sophisticated as America, you know, that, and <laughs> no, it's that they were actually living their normal lives in more like urban areas. And based on, I believe it was a 2007, 2008 political decision vote that did not go well. There was a huge huge rioting upheaval and um, the government basically came in and removed people from their homes and just like threw them out in the middle of nowhere. And they said, if you don't leave, you're going to get, you're going to get shot. You're going to get killed. And so it was people just like living their normal lives and they got completely displaced. And so they had to start over. 
you know, and like, holy cow, that, you know, like even like look at our own political climate, like that could happen here. Mm-hmm. You never know. We could be, we could be months mm-hmm. away from something like that happening. And um, that's something that they really don't have any control over that. You know, that's just so outside of their control and they started over. And what's so beautiful about their culture is it's all, it's all around the, the children. And so what, what Stu and Amy did is they said, if we start with a school and we build a school, we can build a community around that. And then we, we rebuild the community through education and through the children. And so his organization goes in and builds schools in these rural villages that are starting over. And the last thing I'll say about it, because it was obviously an amazing experience, is the amount of like unconditional love and gratitude that they just pour on you. Like I've never, I've never had so much love and gratitude from a complete stranger that does not speak my language. I don't, I don't know how to compare it to anything. It's the best feeling ever, isn't it? Like it's yeah. another level. Yeah. The, the, uh, the amazement that they look at you with, and I don't mean like, oh, you're amazing. I mean like the amazement of you look so different and I know you came from somewhere far and you brought us this love and this school and this water and this whatever it is. It's... It's a connection that happens instantly, like like never before. I've got this one picture where I'm doing a selfie with all these children um, at a school that we had built in Guatemala. And so I'm holding my arm out, I'm squatted down on the ground and they're gathered all around me. I don't know, maybe there's 20 of them or something. And it's my favorite picture in the world, I think, because it just radiates like this love that I don't think I've ever felt anywhere else or that's ever come across in any other picture ever. It's pretty nuts. It really is. I mean, it it like it changed us while we were there. We're going back. We're gonna go. We're going back in uh, what is it? Twenty nineteen. So twenty twenty. We're going back next year. That's cool. You know what's funny is right before I got on here with you, I was on with Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water. Oh the yeah, book yeah, he's amazing. Oh my and, god. And uh, you know, rid- ridiculously awesome. I love Scott. And I asked him. I said, "What do you say to the people? I say, well, there's so many problems around home. You know, why should I give money to third world countries where I'm never going to visit? You know, those are their problems. These are my problems." Yeah. And he had a great answer. He said, "99 out of 100 of those people whose who, whose response is that, they're not giving to anybody. That's like their internal built-in excuse to not give, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, "To other people that do truly feel that way, you just need." a little bit more time to have some kind of full circle experience that's going to make you realize how small the world is. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I had one of those, like literally a divine experience the day that I was leaving for Guatemala that changed my life forever and made me realize how small the world is. And I'll never view anything ever again as my land, your land, or my problem, your problem, or my country, your country, or any of that stuff. It's now, it's just all our yard, basically. And, and you need to lend your strengths and you need to borrow other people's strengths or, or we're not going to survive. Are you going to tell the story? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you uh, keep doing this? <laughs> okay, so here's the story. Um, That's all the time we have for today. Yeah, see you later, folks. Oh, that would kill you because you need completion. <laughs> I know, I totally do. <laughs> oh, look, internet's going out. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so here's the story. I'll, I'll keep it as short as I can. The morning that we were leaving for Guatemala to go visit the schools that uh, we built, um, it was with Pencils of Promise. And uh, so that morning, uh, we weren't flying out till like five o'clock in the afternoon. So I did my normal daily routine. I went out to the garage, got in my car to start it and um, to go to the gym, except 
my car didn't start. Now for context, and I share this only for context so you guys can really realize the impact of the story. Um, the car was a brand new Ferrari. So there's no reason it shouldn't start. It had like a thousand miles on it at the time. It wasn't the battery. Um, it literally was just not starting. Like there, there was no, you would, one would think it was a battery, but it turned out to not be the battery. So I called Beverly Hills Ferrari. And when they send somebody out, you don't have to bring your car in and wait a week. They send somebody out to your house in the most beautiful, if you could picture this huge, beautiful part semi-truck, part flatbed, rolling service bay that is just all painted up gorgeous. And the expert tech that drives this thing to your house to fix the problem, they are the best of the best of the best of the best in the world. We're talking like these techs make multiple, 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 multiple six figures and have gone through years and years and years and years and years and years of schooling to work on these cars. Wow. So the best of the best in the world. So um, long story short, fixes the car. He's like, man, I've never seen this. I don't know why it didn't work uh, in all my years. Never seen this, but we got it working again. And because um, he would try and start it and uh, it wouldn't start either, but then he'd test the battery. The battery was perfect. Everything was connected. And then it finally started after a half hour of him monkeying with it. But he's like, I can't tell you what I did. Right. So that in itself is weird. So then um, he says to me, he's starting to pack up his truck and he says, Hey, it's like, it's a good thing. We didn't have to throw it onto the back of the flatbed here. You would have been up without it for a few days. And I said, ah, that's all right. We're, we're leaving for Guatemala to go check out some schools that we built uh, this afternoon anyway. So that would have been fine. And he looks at me and he says, you're going where to do what? And I said, we're going to Guatemala this afternoon. We're going to go check out some schools that, that we built. And he goes, can I tell you a story? And I said, yeah. And he looked at me. I could see his eyes were starting to tear up a little bit. And he said, you know, I'm from one of those third world towns in rural Guatemala where we had a tiny village and we all had absolutely nothing. And we certainly didn't have a good school or an education. And we certainly didn't have any hope whatsoever to make it in the world. And he said, somebody just like yourself one year came in and built a school. And I went to that school and it was at that school that I heard about this thing called high school in Guatemala city. Now keep in mind, this is like three, four hours outside of Guatemala city, right? This is a third world rural. And so I went to high school and then at high school, I heard about this thing called college in the U S and I found a way and I went to college here in the U S and when I was in the U.S., I fell in love with cars and it became an art to me and I wanted to be the best of the best. And so then I went to college and you know, here I am today, a, a, a top Ferrari tech. And he looks at me and he says, thank you for what you're doing because the towns you're going to and, and the stuff you're doing, I wouldn't be here today without you doing those things. As a matter of fact, his mom still lived back in, in one of those rural towns. So at this point, we had both totally teared up and we both had goosebumps and chills. We both had the most wild moment staring at each other of this was something really weird. The fact that it didn't start, the fact that he couldn't tell you why, the fact that it just decided to start working a half hour after him tinkering with it, the fact that it was on the very morning of the day I was flying to Guatemala to, to go check out schools, the very same schools that were responsible for his life. There's way too full circle. It's way too small world. It's way too divine. It's way to whatever you want to call it for that to be a, an accident or a coincidence. And it was that day I realized our grave responsibility because look at, I would have been without a car if not for this guy and his expertise. And this guy and his expertise would not exist without that school in Guatemala. So like 
it is everyone's responsibility. It is everyone's responsibility to do what you can for everybody in this freaking world. And I do believe that if everybody would just buck up and play all out and do what they're capable of doing, that we would have enough money and we'd have enough solutions to go around to solve every damn problem that we fix. But the problem is this. Most people say it's someone else's problem or most people are stopping because they're afraid or most people aren't living up to their end of the bar. Most people are playing small and the world is suffering because of it. Yeah. And you almost didn't tell that freaking story. <laughs> no matter what you. It's because I'm always afraid I'm going to go off on these tangents. Oh my gosh. Gosh. Isn't that all, wild? What were the chances of that, oh, by wow, the way? What a, what Impossible. A, what an amazing story. And that, that actually like leads me out of curiosity. It sounds like you kind of, it kind of put a label on that of being kind of like this divine synchronistic mm-hmm. moment. I mean, do you, do you believe in that? Do you have other experiences like that in, in your life? Oh yeah, for sure. Do I believe in God? Absolutely. Do I believe in these moments happening for us? Yeah, absolutely. Do I believe that they're like set up with intention? Before that moment, I would have said, nah, everything's coincidence. And maybe that was just a coincidence, but boy, that's one hell of a coincidence if it's not set up in our favor. I don't know how to explain that. As a, I mean, it's an amazing story. What about you? Yeah, I believe uh, there are synchronistic moments all around us if we're paying attention. But is it because we are recognizing them? Or is it because we're recognizing the synchronicity in them? Or is it because they were purposely set up to be synchronistic to get us to wake up or to do something or go left or go right? Yeah, I, 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 I go all over the place with that. Me too. Like I literally and, don't know the answer to that question. Well, yeah. And then part of me always kind of comes back to this place of, uh, you know, maybe we're not meant to really know. And mm-hmm. that's where like faith comes in anyways is like, you know, you're not, we're not going to, at least right now, we're not going to get a clear, definite answer. Mm-hmm. But knowing that in, in my life, like the more I paid attention to signs, uh, you find, you see miracles every day. Mm-hmm. Just things that are like, wow, that just was too synchronistic. Mm-hmm. Um, can't be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And, and for the, the T left brain person, that was a, that was a hard thing to, overcome. But yeah. um, speaking about your Costa Rica like yoga thing, I had one very similar, which was... And I've told this on, on my uh, podcast before of the very short version is I went to go eat at my local place, uh, the stand in Laguna Beach. And I like to wear headphones. As an introvert, I like to wear headphones, but not actually listen to music just so people won't talk to me. Uh, but I'll eavesdrop on them. And, and I heard somebody talking about Ojai. Yeah. You know where Ojai mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And then I sat down and I heard somebody else talk about Ojai. And I was like, oh, cool. Two people talking about, oh, hi, they should go meet. And then out of the blue, my little sister comes up and I'm like, what are you doing here? I never see you here. It was like, I go there every day. And she's like, oh, I'm on break from my yoga teacher training. Um, she goes, actually, next week is our yoga retreat. You should come. And I said, no, thank you. That sounds like a bunch of hippies. <laughs> um, you know, no, thank you. And she goes, no, it'll be fun. It's in Ojai. And uh, I heard Ojai three times in a matter That's of... That's wild. Three minutes. Because for the listeners that don't know, Ojai is this tiny mountain town in the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. And so I at least had trained myself at that point. Well, if I hear it three times, I got to go. And uh, that's where I met my wife. (gasps) Oh, no way. It's crazy. Holy crap. How'd you meet her? I took her spot in the yoga room. I sat on, I sat in her spot where her mat was. And then she's... she's, Wait, you went and sat on someone else's mat? 
No, no, like oh. uh, we take your mats. <laughs> What's but that's wrong with put, you, dude? I know, right? I'm just kidding. Oh, I'll just use this person's mat. No, I put my mat down where she had been putting hers. I came a day late. Uh, that's how reluctantly I wanted to go. And she'd been putting her mat in the same spot the whole day before. And then I just come in and plop my mat there. And apparently that was her spot. So she had to kind of say something. And uh, that was... Uh, yeah, that was the beginning of it. That's so, wild. That's wild, man. Okay. See, you hear these stories and like... Yeah, we could just apply the meaning to it that, oh, it was meant to be. Or maybe it really freaking was. I guess we'll never know. Yeah. And maybe we're we're not meant to know. But I just... I Today, I choose to see that as like there's magic and miracles and synchronicities in our in our life and you can choose to pay attention and i just it, it enriches my experience of life it's very exciting to me do you realize what you just said you just brought this entire thing exactly 1 hour and 11 minutes full circle back to the first question and that was oh what's your favorite quote and you said live as though the universe conspires in your favor and it was tattooed on my arm absolutely that's wild that's wild all right so i always ask closing questions and i've got this one for you I've got two of them. Number one, what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? Oh, that, that's easy. So they're two and they're the same, but different. Uh, we host an event every year uh, called uh, BBD Live, BBD for Business by Design. And we, we sponsor uh, a charity every year. And part of it too is to communicate this message of like share and give no matter what level you're at. Even if you're just starting out and you feel like, like I don't have the money yet, and blah blah blah. That story that I had been telling myself, like even twenty five dollars can make a difference for somebody. It can change their entire life. And so we had one in October, and we had one in January, and uh, we we surprised both the charities that we sponsored, um, where we had everyone in the room raise money, and then they hit a certain level. And what we did is we gave you know the big like cheesy thing like hand the big check. Yeah. So we we put a put a big check on stage and presented it with them uh, with how much the entire room raised in three days. And then <laughs> to this dumb thing where I had another check hidden behind it and it drops down below it and we matched. Oh, that's so cool. That's such a cool way to match. And it was... Uh, and yeah, so it's like... And oh yeah, we have a little something else here and it just goes bam and drops oh, down below. Dude, it. that's cool. I want to drop and down check. Totally. Yeah. So they don't get one, they get two. Not one, but two. And to see the expression on their faces w- was like amazing. One was Dr. Shannon Irvin, who runs an organization called Mosaic Vision, and she helps orphans of, of AIDS victims in uh, Uganda. And uh, she's had this organization for 14 years. In fact, her story is so amazing because it, it, she became an entrepreneur partly because she was fed up, uh, sick and tired of trying to raise money for her charity. She's like, well, I'm just going to become a rich and famous entrepreneur so I can just donate myself and then I don't have to worry about chasing down money all the time. And she said that she they raised more money at that event than any project, event, any fundraising activity they had done in like 14 years. That made me so happy to hear that. Because it wasn't just me. It was our entire community. It was like all of our students doing that. you yeah. know. And that's, that's where it becomes... This is more than just giving because now it's inspiring giving. Yep. Yep. And 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 that's what you're doing even just by sharing your story and that's that's where real change happens when you're impacting change makers. A quick side question on that then. Yeah. You know, there's all these people that say, "Oh, you're not supposed to talk about your giving and you no know, quote Bible quotes and all this other stuff." I'm of the opposite mind. I say if you give in the dark all the time, then you're never going to remind someone to give, you're never going to inspire someone to give, you're never going to show someone a new way of giving. I believe that we have the responsibility to do at least half of our giving 
out loud so that we can start that chain reaction. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, if the, if that's the intention, one hundred percent. You know, it's easy. It's easy to have the intention, like, look how cool I am, because mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, give me more likes on Instagram. <laughs> but you know, when that's the that's the bigger message. You know, what's in a line too is uh, what comes up for me that really resonated with founder of Village Impact, Stu McLaren, said was, you know, when he he had a lot of issues with money, and um, when he realized that the more money he made, the more more impact he could create. How beautiful is that? Um, that allowed him to make more money. But then sharing that can really motivate and inspire other people to do the same. And mm-hmm. so at the, at the end of the day, I started my business with a quote that was like an axiom for me of like how I wanted to live my life. And it was inspire others through my actions. Mm-hmm. And I continue to have an experience at every level with working with my students and even with the podcast. And it's my story. I'm working through it. That you know, I talk a lot and I share a lot. But I, I always get the sense that people are listening far less to what I'm saying. But they're always paying attention to who I'm being. Mm, amen. Right? And I really do believe that. That as leaders, as authorities, the people that are following you may forget that great quote that you came up with or your great five steps or you know, maybe you don't, they don't remember what you said on your last webinar and your seven secrets of blah, blah, blah. But they don't forget about who you were being, how you showed up, what you took a stand for, what actions you took and how you took those actions. And that's what people are really paying attention to and learning the most from. And so for me, that's, that's always just been something I never want to forget is that if I really want to teach something or press upon something to somebody, let me demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, if, if this is something you want to share with people, but you're not demonstrating or letting them see that you're doing it, you're probably doing them a massive disservice. Wow. I love that. Good answer, man. Yeah. All right, do you have any final questions? I got one more. Well, you know, I did want to ask, it's not really a final question, but it's like the one thing on my list that I didn't get to was hopefully it doesn't open uh, open a can of worms here. Maybe it will. Let's, let's roll with it. Okay. Well, what do you what do you see as the biggest uh, money mistakes entrepreneurs making? Ooh. I've did got it open this, a can of worms? Uh, no, no, no. It's it's such a good question. I have a saying that I had to create for myself years ago, and that is this. Ego is your greatest overhead. And if you think about it, ego is going to cost you more than anything else that you could possibly have or do. So here's what I mean. Ego causes you to buy the cars that you should not be buying before you buy them. Now you don't have money for business. Ego causes you to buy the bags or the shoes that you shouldn't be buying yet. Now you don't have money for business. Uh, Ego will will cause you to speak up out of turn when you shouldn't because you want to be seen. And for some people, ego will stop you from speaking up when you should and now you're not adding value and not growing your business. So like it'll burn relationships and then you burn relationship capital. It'll ego will always be your greatest overhead. So to the the young, inspiring, or even old aspiring entrepreneur, if you can mitigate your ego and be aware of what it's costing you, then your single greatest overhead in business instantly evaporates and it frees up so much more capital and relationship capital and energetic capital, you name it. Yeah. I really like that. This is so true. Isn't and it I though? Think, I think how I'm interpreting that too is like the ego is the 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 part of you that wants the significance, mm-hmm. right? Wants to look good, you know, the importance. Mm-hmm. The like this I'm special. We're all special. Yep. Let me let me show it with material things and 
Yeah, short-sighted decisions. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Here's, okay, what's your other final question? All right, ask everybody this question. Hmm. It's this. Yep. Give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and wealth. Oh, I think it goes back to what I, I just said. So you can be the proof mm. of what is possible for somebody else. Yep. I, I mean, I just, shared, I just shared this quote on my Instagram. When did you and Lori start this business again? I don't think I wrote down the date. When you guys like start over the, your, your comeback, when did that begin? About 2010. Okay, beautiful. So, so I've, I, I started... I, I came up with my first like online product, Bartend for Profit. And I had the idea in 2007. But I didn't really start, you know, making any type of headway in my business till 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've both been around a while in this, you know, wild, wild west of internet days. And I shared this quote that it says 2009. What people were saying was, "There's no one else making money or having an online business. Therefore, it's not possible for me." Yep. Now, <laughs> ten years later, it's there's so many people already doing what I want to do. It's not possible for me. Yep. Yep. And either way, you know, like everyone can, it's so easy to find an excuse why not to. At the end of the day, I want to, I want to be the proof of what's possible for somebody else. I, it's what motivates me when the stuff comes in of like, is it too much? Mm. Am I, you know, like, should I stop? I want someone to be able to say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Look at what he's done. And nothing drives me in the fact that like my clients and I'm like, they're looking to me and um, I want to show them that. Even where I'm at in my business is a self-imposed limitation of what's possible. So I'm constantly challenging what else is possible? What, how, how, how can we think even bigger? How can we do the impossible so I can show them it's possible? And, and that's why we need to be unapologetic. Whereas the antithesis of this, where a lot of people really become apologetic and, and play smaller, is I think, especially in the terms of money, people are operating from this whole like, idea of a fixed, fixed pie, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't want to take too much because that presupposes I'm taken from somebody else. And that it couldn't be further from the truth. There are all these studies, and I'm sure you know a lot of these, like more millionaires today than ever before. 1,700 new new millionaires every day right now. 1,700 new ones every day. Dude, this is like a topic that I go deep on. It's crazy. Do you know know where that came from, by the way? Do you have a few more minutes? uh, Do I know where what came from? The idea of there's a fixed pie, and if I have a big slice, somebody else has a small slice? Government. Now, here's where it came from. So hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the only way that they measured uh, wealth was land. And sure enough, yeah. if I had a castle with 10,000 acres, that means I had to take 10,000 acres from you. And then when you know we started using money, money was backed by the gold standard. And so the US could only issue just so much money as they had physical gold in reserve. So sure enough, if I had some, that means there was less to go around. But then in 1933, when FDR took us off of the, off the gold standard, Money just became fictional, a bunch of zeros and ones now in this digital age, right? And so it can go up and down and it can be created out of thin air. And it's because of that reason that there will always be enough to go around because you technically don't go get money. You create money. And here's how wealth is created. If, if Apple stock is 200 bucks today and I buy one share and a few months go by and it goes up to $300, Right, so it went from two hundred to three hundred. I just became a hundred dollars wealthier. Now, who did I screw to get that hundred bucks? Nobody. Who did I hurt to get that hundred bucks? Nobody. Who is missing a hundred dollars because I have a hundred dollars more? Nobody. It was created out of thin air because somebody was a bunch of people were betting on Apple, and you know, demand went up. 
Same thing with your house. If you buy a house for $300,000, I know it's laughable to you and I in Southern California, but I grew up in the Midwest. <laughs> if you buy a house for $300,000 and you know three years goes by and the appraiser comes by and he's like, hey, good news, your house is worth three fifty. You just got $50,000 wealthier. Now, who'd you screw? Who'd you hurt? Who'd you steal from to get that 50 grand? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Because even the guy who has to come give you 50 grand more for your house if you were to sell it, he's getting a $350,000 home. So we are now creating wealth out of thin air. It's not attached to anything. And so there is more than enough to go around. If I have a giant slice, somebody else can have a gianter slice. I know it's not a word. I like it. You know? Giant with me, but look, look at like the whole Bitcoin phenomenon. I mean, there, I don't know if you've heard the story of the guy that accidentally threw away, I forget how many it was, like 20 or 40, but it comes out to over 56, and that's about the current price, which it's going up again, $56 million worth of Bitcoin. He just accidentally left on the hard drive of his computer and threw it in, and it's now in a, uh, a landfill somewhere in like yeah. Missouri. Crazy. <laughs> and once Bitcoin's gone, it's gone. There's no getting it back. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, so here's a guy that just created $56 million out of thin air. He can't, he can't use it. But, <laughs> but my, my whole family's in real estate. My uncle is in real estate and he sold, a, he sold a $5 million home to someone in Laguna, all Bitcoin. Ooh. And they, they bought some. They bought... I think they only just bought a handful of... No, they must have bought a lot more because it you know, went up. But um, If people were smart, of, all these online digital marketers... Yeah. Listen, if they're smart, they would start taking Bitcoin and you know whatever their other favorite cryptocurrency is for some of their programs, not all of them. Because if you're gathering it at, you know, what is it today? Like 8,000 bucks per coin. And mark my words, you know, it'll go, this is not financial advice, everyone, but mark my words, it's going to go up to 50 grand or hundred grand a coin. We all know it's going to go there. Imagine all of the courses you sell right now, all the digital products you sell right now, collecting $8,000 coin and that very same coin for that same course now is worth a hundred grand or 500 grand. Yeah. Dude, like I'm telling you, that is the secret sauce. Start selling yeah. just some of your programs in cryptocurrency. Totally. And like offer a discount for it. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, like you get to save money if you pay in Bitcoin. Because I think a lot, there's also a lot of hesitancy about people wanting to spend it. Because like, why would I spend it if it's going to go up? Mm-hmm. Incentivize people say, well, it's cheaper. Paying yep. Bitcoin. Yep. So I love this. Hey, how do we end this? A great big hug. virtual virtual hug listen man number one this is a really cool way to get to know you thanks for being willing to experiment with this i like how you said cage match like we might have to start a genre called uh, entrepreneur cage match and so you know just thanks for letting me get to know you in 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 this type of space and uh, i can't wait to collaborate or you know do something really cool in the future you just live a couple hours south so let's let's be intentional about it yeah, no, this was this was great. And uh, I love that we kind of turned this into this joint episode. Instead of doing... Because this was our thing was you're going to do two episodes. Yep. And I'm all about like do less and, and leverage it. So instead of creating two separate episodes, we just want, made one awesome mega episode that we're going to share on both of our... So cool, man. I can't wait. Well, thank yeah. you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your expertise. Thank you, man. And uh, we'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, 
cheers to your success.